Gypsy Audio is proud to recreate the Mercury Theater on Air's version of Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula, as transcribed by the Willamette Radio Theater. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Arthur Seward. I am here tonight to bear witness to the truth of certain events, which you may find it hard to believe, but I ask you to believe them. I have here certain documents, telegrams, clippings from the press of the day, memoranda, and letters in various hands. All needless matters have been eliminated. Through the history almost at variance with the possibilities of contemporary belief, they stand forth as simple fact. I present you, first, with excerpts from the private journal of Jonathan Harker. I, Jonathan Harker, lawyer's clerk, articles to Peter Hawkins, Esquire, of Exeter, England, am writing this journal in the hopes that if misfortune overtakes me, it may one day come to the eyes of those who love me. I set out from London on the last day of April to visit one of our clients in Eastern Europe. On May the 3rd, I arrived in Budapest and came after nightfall to Klausenberg on the border of Transylvania. At Bistritz, there was a letter of welcome for me from one of our clients informing me that his carriage would be awaiting for me at the Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. Bukovina! Coach for Bukovina! The road was rough, but still we seemed to fly over it with feverish haste. When it grew dark, there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers. They kept speaking to the driver and looking at me and urging him on with greater speed. The crazy coach rocks from its great leather springs. The mountains seemed to come near to us on either side. Coachman! Coachman! What is it? Where are we? You are nearing your destination, young hare. This is the Borgo Pass. There are black rolling clouds overhead, and in the air, the heavy, oppressive sense of thunder. Now, we go through the pass. The young hare is not expected after all? You are early tonight, my friend. A kalache with four horses, had drawn up beside us. Let me help you, sir. The coachman smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard-looking mouth with berry red lips and sharp-looking teeth as white as ivory. We began to move. I looked back. The coach with its load of passengers had vanished from sight. We swept into the darkness of the pass. I struck a match. It was within a few minutes of midnight. Then... A dog began to howl somewhere far down the road. The wind was rising, moaning and whistling through the rocks, and the branches of the trees crashed together as we swept along. It grew colder and colder still, and fine, powdery snow began to fall. The baying of the wolves sounded new and new, as if, as if though they were closing round us from every side. We kept on ascending, always ascending, the howling of the wolves exploded. Presently, it ceased altogether, and just then the moon broke through the black clouds, and by its light, I saw around us a ring of wolves running alongside the carriage, in silence, with white teeth and lolling red tongues, with long, sinewy limbs of shaggy hair. Welcome to my house. I must have fallen asleep. 
The carriage had pulled up in the courtyard of a vast ruined castle. The coachman was nowhere to be seen. Welcome to my house. Come freely, go safely, and leave something of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. The face was strong. Very strong. Aquiline. The mouth, so far as I could see it under the heavy moustache, was fixed and rather cruel-looking, with peculiarly shaped white teeth. Hmm, you hear them, Mr. Harker? The wolves. The children of the night. As you say, Mr. Harker, the wolves. Listen. Come now, there are many things you must tell me tomorrow, of England and the estate where you have purchased for me. Ah, yes. The estate is called Carfax, I believe. Yes, that's so. But now I will detain you no longer. You will find your room in readiness, and I advise you not to leave it during the night. This castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone falling from the window would fall a thousand feet without touching anything. I explored. There are doors, doors, doors everywhere, all of them locked. The door to the great hall, the door to the courtyard. Every door in the castle is closed, bolted against me. Castle Dracula is a prison, and I am a prisoner. The next night, I could not sleep. So, after a few hours, I got up, and lighting my candle, I placed my shaving mirror on the dressing table, and was just beginning to shave. You feel arrested, Mr. Harker. I had not seen him, although the reflection of the glass covered the whole room behind me. I turned to the glass again. Count Dracula was close to me, and I could see him over my shoulder, but there was no reflection of him in the mirror. It was blank. I started and cut myself on the side of the throat. The blood was trickling down my neck. <laughs> my mirror! The blood! The blood! Wipe the blood from your face, Mr. Harker. It is more dangerous than you think in this country. When I awoke, I found most of my things were gone. My passport, my note, my letter of credit. I could find no trace of them anywhere, and my door was locked from the outside. June 20th. There is work of some kind going on in the castle. Now and then I hear the faraway muffled sound of mattock and spade, and last night, the second of three dated letters which Dracula made me write the second of the series which was to blot out the very traces of my existence from the earth went forth. Count Dracula! Yes, my young friend. Well, what of me? When am I free? When can I leave this place? Free? Mr. Harker, you are always free. 
you want to leave would you like to leave tonight yes yes in god's name my dear young friend not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will come follow me hmm your door seems to be bolted how strange your door is locked in god's name open it as you will mr harker you english have a proverb that is very close to my heart welcome the coming speed departing guests good night mr harker shut the door shut the door shut the door shut the door is shut mr harker i take it you will remain morning june the 30th these may be the last words i ever write in this diary god preserve my sanity I have never seen Count Dracula by day. At sunrise, at the first cock crow, he is gone. I, I don't understand these things. I only know that the wolves are baying and that he is a man with hair on the palms of his hands, with sharp teeth and no blood in his face. He casts no shadow. He cannot be seen in glass, and he moves like a bat across the sheer face of the castle walls. He eats no food and is mortally afraid of the crucifix. As I write this, I hear in the courtyard the rolling of heavy wheels and the cracking of whips. And there is a passageway below, a pound of heavy boxes being set down. Boxes shaped like coffins. And I know what they hold. The boxes are filled with holy earth from the chapel beneath the castle. The last box being nailed down. And now I hear the heavy feet trampling again. The door is shut, and the chains rattle. In the courtyard and down the rocky wall, the roll of heavy wheels, the cracks of whips. Help! 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 The wagons have gone. I'm alone in the castle. I'm alone in the castle. I'm alone in the castle. I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm alone. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Seward. Mr. Harker's journal terminates at this point. I now present into evidence a clipping dated August of that year from the Yorkshire Telegraph for my correspondence in Whitby. One of the greatest and sudden of storms on record was experienced here today. The weather has been somewhat sultry, but Saturday evening was fine. The band was playing, the piers were crowded with holiday makers. The winds went away entirely in the evening, and there was a dead calm. There were but few lights at sea. The only sail noticeable was a foreign schooner, under full canvas, that was seemingly going westward. A little after midnight came a strange sound from over the sea, and high overhead the air began to carry a strange, faint, hollow booming. Then, without warning, the tempest broke, and there, with all sails set, was the foreign schooner rushing with terrific speed toward the shore. A searchlight was turned on her, and there lashed to the helm was a corpse, with drooping head which swayed horribly to and fro at each motion of the ship. A moment later she crashed, then a strange thing was seen. At the very instant she touched, a huge dog sprang upon deck from below, and running forward, 
jumped from the bow onto the sand and making straight up the east cliff toward the graveyard, vanished into the night. The coast guard going abroad at dawn found the dead man fastened to a spoke of the wheel. Tightly clutched in one hand was a crucifix. The man must have been dead for quite two days. In the pocket of the dead man's coat was found a bottle, carefully corked, containing a roll of paper. This proved to be an addendum to the ship's log. There was found on board only a small amount of cargo and that of a most unusual nature. Apparently, the ship carried nothing but earth, common earth, packed away in wooden boxes, shaped much like coffins. Log of the Demeter, Russian flag, Black Sea to Whitby, July 6th, finished taking in cargo, a queer cargo, boxes of earth, at noon set sail, east wind, fresh, crew, four hands, two mates, cook and myself, captain, July 11th, entered Bosporus, at night passed through the Dardanelles, mate reported in morning that one of the crew, Vilden, was missing. Took Larbold watch eight bells last night. He was relieved by Talisian, who never came to his bunk. There is something aboard this ship. <laughs> no, don't laugh, Captain. In the rain last night. Oh. A tall, thin man go up the companionway and along the deck forward and disappear. When I go to the bow, no one! And the hatchways are all closed. July 22nd. Rot weather last three days. All hands busy with sails. No time be frightened. Past Gibraltar and out to the Straits. Avel. July 24th. Last night. Another hand was lost. Disappeared. Like Tullison. He came off his watch at midnight. And we never see him again. You take your watch now. I don't take watch alone no more. No lie. No more. Double watch. Double watch. Eh, July 29th. It's single watch tonight. His crew too tired to double. Then morning come. Hey, hey. Boliki, hello. Boliki. Where are the guns? Balaki, gone like the others. <laughs> like all the others. The mate and I have agreed to go armed henceforth. July 30th, last night. They are nearing England. Better fine. All sails set. Captain, Captain, the men on the watch are missing. More missing. Uh, now, only self... And mate, and one hand left to work ship. August 3rd. Two days of fog and not a sail sighted. At midnight, I went to relieve the man at the wheel. And when I got to it, I found no one there. It's here! I know it now! I saw it! Like a man, taller and thin, ghastly pale. It was in the bows and looking out. I gave it my knife. But the knife went right through it, empty as the air. What are you talking about? It's here, and I'll find it. It's in the old, in one of the boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them one by one and see. 
and see. He is mad. Start raving mad. There's no use my trying to stop him. He can't hurt those big boxes. Their invoice is coming out. Ah! He's down there! Down in the hole! Oh no, the secret there! The sea will save me from him! It's all that's left! It's all that's left! August 4th. I am all alone on my ship. And still the fog. I dare not go below. I dare not leave the helm. So here, all night, I stayed. And in the dimness of the night, I saw it. I saw him. God forgive me, but the mate was right to jump overboard. It was better to die like a sailor in the blue waters. But I am captain, and I must not leave my ship. I have tied my hands to the wheel. <sighs> and then my strength begins to fail, and along with them, I shall tie that which you dare not touch. My crucifix! I am growing weaker. And the night is coming on. God in the blessed virgin help a poor, ignorant soul trying to do his duty! Ah! Telegram. Seward. Per fleet to Van Helsing, Amsterdam. Lucy Vestenra in alarming condition. Cannot diagnose. Come at once. Seward. Telegram. Van Helsing. Amsterdam to Seward. Perfect. I am on my way to you. Please arrange for me to examine your patient immediately. My arrival, Van Helsing. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now explain that six months before the events recorded here, I had become engaged to a young lady, Lucy Westenra. We were to be married in the spring. My old teacher, Professor Van Helsing, arrived at four the next afternoon. I took him at once to Lucy's house. She lay in her bed asleep. She was ghastly, chalky pale. The red had seemed to have gone even from her lips and gums, when the bones of her face stood out. Young Mrs. Bad. Very bad. She must have blood or she will die. She is not anemic. The qualitative analysis of her blood is quite normal condition. It is strange. I do not like to think how strange. Look! My God! Her throat! Look! The black velvet band that she always wore dragged up a little and showed a red mark on her throat. Just over the external jugular vein were two punctures, not large, but not wholesome-looking. The edges were white and worn-looking. Well? Well, what is it, Professor? What's wrong with her? Speak frankly, you can tell me the worst. I wish I could, Seward. I wish I could, but I do not dare. But, won't you tell me anything? I will tell you this. Your young lady is in a danger greater than death. You must believe me. If you leave her for one moment and harm befalls, you will not sleep easy thereafter. September 8th. I sat up all night with Lucy. Arthur, I'm afraid. My dear, you can sleep tonight. I'm here watching you. Nothing can happen. And I promise at any sign of bad dreams. If I see anything, I'll wake you at once. You will? Will you really? Oh, then I'll sleep. I sat all night by her bedside. 
she did not wake once during the night. Although the bows or a bat or something slapped almost angry against the window pane. September 11th. Still quoting from my private journals. This time I received a message from Perfleet. It read, 10.20 p.m. St. John's Hospital. Serious complications, case 891. Your immediate presence in London imperative. I had no choice. Some time later, a paper was found among Lucy Westenra's belongings. I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one may get in trouble from me. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the window was closed, as Dr. Van Helsing had directed. About two in the morning, I was awakened. I went to the door and called out, Arthur! Arthur! There was no answer. Something's broken the window! I'm in the room alone. I dare not go out. The house seems empty. The air, full of specks, floating, circling in the draft from the window. The light burns blue, dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter all around me, like I'm sinking into deep water. There's singing in my ears. You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Ah! September 12th. Late. Only resolution and habit can let me make an entry tonight. We found her sprawled on the floor, when there was a draft in the room from the broken window. The throat was bare, showing the two wounds, looking horribly white and mangled. We are too late, my friend. We have failed. God's will be done. She is dying? Yes, she is dying. Stay beside her. It will make much difference. Mark me, whether she dies conscious or in her sleep. I took her hand and knelt beside her. Arthur, oh my love, I'm so glad you've come. Her breath came and went like a tired, peaceful child. And then the light from the setting sun fell on her face. And then, insensibly, a strange change came over her. Her eyes grew suddenly dull and hard. Her breathing was heavy. Her mouth opened and the pale gums drawn back made the teeth look large and sharp. Arthur... Oh, my love, I'm so glad you've come. Kiss me. Bend down and kiss me. Run for your life. Run for your living soul and hers. <coughs> Lucy. She's dead. Poor girl. Lie in peace at last. The end. Not so. It is only the beginning. Wait and see. Extra special, extra special, Kensington Horror. Westminster Gazette, September 25th, a Hampstead mystery. The Kensington Horror and the Woman in Black are vividly recalled to mind by a series of events that have taken place recently in the neighborhood of Hampstead. Several cases have occurred of young children straying from their homes or failing to return from playing on the heath. In all these cases, the children have given as their excuse that they have been with a beautiful lady who offered them chocolates. In each case, the child was found to be slightly torn or wounded in the throat. 
The wound seemed such as might be made by a rat. Extra special. Or a small dog. Extra special. Extra special. Hampstead Horror. Read about the beautiful lady. Read about the beautiful lady. Extra special. The Hampstead Horror. Another child injured by the beautiful lady. We have just received intelligence that another child missed last night was only discovered late in the morning. It has the same tiny wound in the throat. Well, Stuart, what do you think of that? You mean to tell me, my friend, that you still have no suspicions as to what poor Lucy died of? Nervous prostration following on the great loss or waste of blood. And how was the blood lost or wasted? You are a clever man, my friend, and a good doctor, but you do not believe that there are things that you cannot understand. You are wrong, Seward, and you are aware of all the mysteries of life and death. Can you tell me why in the pampas there are bats that come out at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry those veins? Hmm? How, on some islands of the western seas, there are bats which hang on trees all day, and then, then the sailors sleep on deck because it is hot, sweep down on them, and then in the morning are found dead men, as white as Miss Lucifer's. I understand none of these things. After tonight, Silver, if you dare to come with me, then perhaps you will understand. September 29th, before dawn. Now it is dawn, when I would sooner die a thousand deaths than to live again what I did this night. We will spend the night, you and I, here in this churchyard where Miss Lucy is buried. We enter the tomb. And then? We open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced of- Take care, Von Helsing. Miss Lucy is dead, is it not so? Then there can be no wrong to her. But if she's not dead... With some difficulty, we found the Vestander tomb. <coughs> I took up my place behind a yew tree on one side of the tomb, Van Helsing on the other. I was chilled and frightened. The child is unharmed. We leave him in a safe place where the police find him. There's more to do. Now we're in the tomb. There, in the coffin, the thing lay. Like a nightmare of Lucy. The pointed teeth. The blood-stained mouth. Van Helsing never looked up. From his bag he took out a book, his operating knife, a heavy hammer, and a round wooden stick. Two or three inches thick, sharpened to a fine point, and hardened over a fire. Seward, the life of this unhappy woman has just begun. Then she becomes what you call undead. There comes with the change the curse of immortality. She cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims. Because all that die from the plane of the undead become themselves undead and prey on others. So the circle goes on, ever widening, as of the ripples from a stone thrown into the water. But. If this lady, this undead, be made to rest as true dead, then the soul of the poor lady whom we love should again be free. 
Tell me, what am I to do? Take the stake in your left hand, the hammer in your right. Yes. Place the point over the heart. Here. Then, then I begin the prayer for the dead. In God's name, strike. Ugh. Are you ready? Now! Domnes sancte pater omnipontes, dus propter tuam e filitui, qui promis sustinui, e mortem matris omnem sanctorum ad omnibus concari es contemni cupiam ili me constriste nisi culpa. Amen. On the morning of July 11th, a man was found on the border of Transylvania. He talked vilely of wolves and boxes of earth and blood. He gave his name as Jonathan Harker. In the hospital at Kausenberg, he improved sufficiently to make possible his removal to England. I'm still quoting from my own personal papers, but then his condition remained so serious that he was committed for observation to a private ward in my hospital at Perfleet. Here, he did so well that in three weeks he was completely recovered. It was during this time that his wife, Mina Harker, brought to the attention of Dr. Van Helsing and myself the journal that her husband had kept while the prisoner in the castle of a certain Count Dracula in Transylvania. I have before me the record of a meeting that took place in my study in Perfleet, transcribed by Mina Harker. October 1st. Meeting again, ten after eight. Jonathan next to me, Dr. Stewart afterwards, and Dr. Van Helsing at the head of the table. My friends, there are such things as vampires. Had I known at first what I know, now I know, one so precious a life would have been spared for the many of us who love her. The vampire which is amongst us is himself so strong that he can direct all the elements, the storm, the fog, the thunder. He can command all the meaner things, the moth and bat, the owl, the fox and the wolf. How then are we to begin our stride to destroy him? How shall we find his place? And having found it, how can we destroy? My friends, it is a terrible task that we undertake. To fail here is not mere life or death. If we fail, we become as him, foul things of the night, as him. What do you say? I answer for myself. Come near. I'm with you. The professor laid a small golden crucifix on the table. We took hands and our solemn pact was made. My friends, we too are not without strength. The vampire flourishes on the blood of the living. Without this, he cannot live. He throws no shadow. He makes no reflection in a mirror. He can transform himself into a wolf, to a bat. He can come on moonlight rays as elemental dust. He can see in the dark. He can do all these things. Yet he is not free. His power ceases at the coming of the day. Then, until night, he must remain in the shape in which he finds himself and, except in his coffin home, in those earth boxes, he cannot rest. When we can confine him in his coffin, then, my friends, if we obey what we know, we will destroy him. At that moment, something slapped wildly against the window, then... Did you hit it? I don't know. We looked out of the window. 
Against the black sky you could see nothing. Data are now positioned from the Count's Castle in Transylvania to Whitby come 50 boxes of earth. All of these to our certain knowledge were delivered at Carfax. Recently 12 of these boxes have been removed. First step, ascertain whether all the rest remain in the deserted house next door or whether any more have been removed. We must break each of these boxes and sterilize the earth with holy water so he can no longer seek safety in it, and we must hurry! The events of the next few days are described in Jonathan Harker's journal. October 2nd, 5 a.m. Just returned from the empty house. Left Mina here at home. Well, we've done our work at Carfax. The place was filthy, the air stagnant and foul, and alive with rats. We counted the boxes, only thirty-eight of them, and each one the professor went through his same mysterious work. It was dawn when we got back. I found Mina asleep. She looks paler than usual. October 2nd. Soon after they'd left, I fell asleep. I remember hearing the sudden barking of the dogs, and then it was silent. I got up and looked out the window. There was a thin streak of white mist moving across the grass along the wall of the house. It dawned on me that the air in the room was heavy and dank and cold. The gaslight came only like a tiny red spark in the fog. I could see through my eyelids. The mist grew thicker and thicker. Then as I looked, the spark divided and seemed to shine on me through the fog like two red eyes. You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, blood of my blood. October 2nd, 8 p.m. We are on the track. Twelve boxes were delivered to an empty house at 337 Piccadilly. My dear friends, until the sun sets tonight, Dracula must retain whatever form he now has. We have this day to hunt out all his lairs and sterilize them. Then he will have no place he can move or hide. But we have only until sunset. The house in Piccadilly was empty. Like the one at Perfleet, the same sickening smell is in the air. On the table we found a clothes brush, a brush, and a comb, and a basin. The latter containing dirty water which was reddened as if with blood. The boxes are back here! Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Only eleven. There's a twelfth box somewhere. Gentlemen, it's after six. The sun is setting. With no more time to lose, he will return at any moment. Open the boxes! Quiet! Listen, here it is. It is he. The window! You waste your bullets, gentlemen. You think you baffle me with your pale faces in a row. Like sheep in a butcher's, you think you've left me without a place to rest, but I have more, and time is on my side. The one you love is mine already. I have known her. Already my mark is on her throat. Flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. She is with me always, over land or sea. 
October 4th, morning. Another meeting in the study at Perthlete. We must find that last remaining box. Gentlemen, we must find it. As long as that earth exists and pure, as long as there remains one place of refuge for Dracula, there can be no safety and no peace for any soul in England. On for the undead, never peace so long as he lives. Nina, how do you know that? Quiet, quiet. With me, with me always, over land and sea. Mina, darling, how do you know that Dracula said those? I don't know. The words just came. Strange. There are times when somehow I feel like I'm with him. At sunset? Yes. Just as the sun sets, and again at sunrise. Dr. Van Helsing, if I could... If at those times you... Have you the courage? The courage for what? What do you mean? Dr. Van Helsing here questioned me. I will question her, yes, in a state of hypnosis. The one you love is already mine, he said. She is with me always, over land or sea. Ah, uh, Count Lacula, perhaps she will betray you if she is really with you, this one we love. Who knows? If she is really with you over land or sea. Blood of my blood. Mina. Yes. Answer me, Mina. Are you with him? Yes, I am with him. Where are you? I do not know. It is all dark. What do you hear? The lapping of water. I can hear it on the outside. Then you are on a ship? Yes. What else do you hear? There's a creaking of an anchor chain. What are you doing? Still. Oh, so still. It was like death. It is like death. Here is a report from the Matson Peabody, ship brokers, dated October 5th. According to Lloyd's List, the only sailing ship that left for the Black Sea yesterday for the Tsarina Katrina bound for Varna. Somehow, before she sailed, a man came alongside, all in black, driving a cart with a great box in it. This he lifted down single-handed and carried below. No one remembers having seen him after that. A heavy mist came up over Doolittle Dock until sailing time. The rest of London Harbor remained completely clear. Our plans are made. The average sailing time from London to the Black Sea is three weeks. We can travel overland to the same place in three days. We shall be there waiting for him when he arrives. October 15th. Arrived Varna about 5 o'clock. Mina feels stronger. Every morning before sunrise and just before sunset, she speaks to Van Helsing in a trance. Are you with him, Mina? Tell me, are you with him? I am with him. What can you see? Nothing. All is dark. What can you hear? I can hear the waves slapping against the ship and the water rushing by. The wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds and the sea foam. So, the Tsarina Katrina is still at sea, hastily to Varna. The Count cannot cross running water, so he cannot leave the ship without being observed. What do you hear, Mina? Laughing waves and rushing water. Darkness. Darkness. Dated telegram from Lloyd. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. 
rushing water, rushing water, creeping must darkness, darkness and wind. October 24th, telegram, Lloyd's London to Harker. Tsarina Katrina reported this morning from Dardanelles. Lloyd's London to Harker, October 28th. Tsarina Katrina in heavy fog. Reported entering Galatz Harbor at one o'clock today. Galatz! Galatz is 38 hours from here, and the first train for Galatz leaves at 6.30 tomorrow morning. My friends, we have lost! Arrived in Galatz. Saw the captain of the Tsarina Katrina. Welcome aboard. We're over an hour before sunup. We received a box for a party by the name of Dracula. Had his papers all right. Emmanuel Hildersheim. His name was... Mr. Hildesheim? Yes? You unloaded a box yesterday. I got from Kyalov. By order. Kyalov. Mr. Kyalov? Oh, no. This morning, they find him dead inside the churchyard of St. Peter. They find him dead with his throat torn open. October 30th, evening. There are two ways in which Dracula can get back to his own place. By land or by water. We've examined the map and found the most likely river is the Sereth. You and I, Stuart, will charter a steam lodge and follow him up the river. Van Helsing and Mina will take a train to Veresti and from there... From there we shall go in the track where Harker went to Bithritza over to Borgo. If you have not caught him before, we shall be meeting Dracula there. October 31st. We arrived at Versetti at noon. Van Helsing and I brought the carriage here. We start in an hour. Our enemy is still on the river. October 31st. We can earn good speed up the river at night. There's plenty of water, and the banks are wide apart. November 1st. Evening. No news all day. We hear that a big boat went up the river before us, going at more than usual speed. November 4th, all day driving. The country gets wilder as we go. By morning, we should reach the Borgo Pass. November the 4th, evening. We have left the launch. We've got horses and we follow on the track along the river. We are armed. Look, quick, there they are now, heading west. Through the dawn, we can see the Slovaks some miles before us, dashing along the river with their wagon on its great box. Late in the afternoon, we leave the Ziborgo Pass. Van Helsing, look! Look! We could see a long way all around, far off beyond the white waste of snow, like a black ribbon curling between us and the river not far off, came a group of men mounted Slovaks riding along. In the midst of them was a wagon that swept from side to side. On the wagon was a great box. Look! We see two horses following fast, coming from the south, Seward and Harker. The Slovaks with their heavy wagons are losing their ground. Now they must be not more than a mile behind. Now the wagon is quite closer. 
we can see the great box lying gravely. Now they are almost upon us. Now has happened a strange thing. The wagon smashed into a great rock, buried in the snow. Lost its front wheel and turned over on its side, jammed against the stone. The horses tore loose from their traces and bolted, and the Slovaks scattered and vanished after them. Then silence. Silence like comes after ringing a bell. Look, his face! In one minute it is sunset and he is forever lost to us. Have you the stake of wood and a hammer? Yes. Now, Seward, pray for us. Kneel down and pray. Harker, the stake of wood over his heart. Be not afraid. Harker, do not look into his eyes. The hammer. Now, Harker, strike! Strike! Flesh. Flesh of my flesh. Guilt of my guilt. Death of my death. Speak and be manifest in the instant of your master's peril. Elements of darkness. Rain. Evil wind. Mist and mold and tempest. Strike! The others couldn't, but somehow I can hear him speaking behind his eyes. Claw, wing, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh, death of my death, death and undeath. The hand of the living is over your master. Console me, my children. This instant is no longer than the space between two heartbeats. But the night is not here, and I am lonely. Come to your master, my children. Beguile him now in the instant of his peril. Beguile him with the sound of your name. Claw, wing, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh. Claw, wing, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh. Strike, Harker, strike. There is one very dear to me who has not answered. My love, Mina. There is less than a minute between me and the night. You must speak for me. You must speak with my heart. Give them to me! Jonathan, give them to me! Give me the stick of wood and the hammer! Parker! I shall never forget that moment. The look on Hormina's face as she stood there. The angry scar standing out on her throat. Her eyes like living coals in the last red of the sunset. She had torn the stake and the hammer out of my hands with the strength of an animal. Mina! Do you know what you have done, woman? Do you know what you have done to us? You have released him! The evil is free! Look, the sun! As we looked down at Dracula, the yes saw the sinking sun, and the hate of them turned to triumph. Flesh of my flesh, come to me, my love. Come into the night and the darkness. You have served me well, my love, my bride, my... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, all the evidence is now before you. I've added nothing, and to the best of my knowledge, I have omitted nothing that might help to throw light on the extraordinary events of the year 1891, which culminated in that terrible evening in the Borgo Pass. There remains only this one last report. When Mina Haga sees the stake and hammer from her husband, I believed she was under some form of hypnosis. 
she herself remembers nothing. But whatever influence was at work on her, she must at the last moment have rejected it. For at the exact instant the sun disappeared, it was Mina Haka who drove the stake through the heart of the thing that called itself Dracula. At the same instant, even as we looked, the wound on the side of her throat was no more. As for Dracula, before the screams of the creature had died from our ears, the whole body crumbled into dust and passed from our sight. In the final moment of the solution, there was in the face a look of peace such as I could never have imagined might have rested there. Tonight's production of Dracula by Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater was the first of nine CBS broadcasts in which this brilliant group will bring to life a series of great narratives, all presented in the immediacy of the first-person singular. In presenting them each Monday at this time during the summer season, the Columbia Network is bringing a complete theatrical producing company to the air for the first time. And now, here is the director to tell you about next week's Mercury Theater production, Mr. Orson Welles. Ladies and gentlemen... What are your favorite stories? If there is one you are particularly fond of and would like to hear on the air, would you please write me about it? Next week, the Mercury Theater is going to tell you Robert Louis Stevenson's exciting yarn about pirates and the sea, Treasure Island. Until then, just in case Count Dracula has left you a little apprehensive, one word of comfort. When you go to bed tonight, don't worry, put out the lights, and go to sleep. It's all right. You can rest easily. That's just a sound effect. There. Over there in the shadows. See? Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I think it's nothing, but always remember. Ladies and gentlemen, the ah wolves the ah vampires Such things do exist. Adapted from the 1938 Mercury on-air radio play, adapted by Orson Welles from the Bram Stoker novel. Transcribed for the Willamette Radio Workshop by Brian Mackey and Sam A. Mowry, and used with their blessings. Adaptation for Gypsy Audio by Gwendolyn Jensen Woodard. Directed by Gwendolyn Jensen Woodard and Alex Gilmore. Post-production by Alex Gilmore. Jules Ismail as Jonathan Harker. Tim Gillick as Dr. Seward. Aaron Parent as Abraham Van Helsing, M.J. Cogburn as Mina Harker, Gwendolyn Jensen Woodard as Lucy Westernra, and Alex Gilmore as Count Dracula, with John Specht as announcer, Stephen J. Cohen as driver, Zach Fester as Dracula's driver, Bill Hallwig as the captain of the Demeter, Ronnie Rollins as mate, Rocky Wingano as hand one, James Leeper as hand two, Mark Giannopoulos as news vendor, Zombie Astronaut as Newsreel Voice. Kim Giannopoulos as Telegram Voice. Captain John Tatterzak is Captain Zarina Katrina. Stephen J. Cohen is Emmanuel Hildesheim. Ronnie Rollins as Old Man. And Bruce Busby as Orson Welles. This has been a production of Gypsy Audio. GypsyAudio.org 2009.
I remember it well. It was in the year of our Lord, 1888. It was a dark time in the darkest part of the city, and hard times is all we knew. No one seemed safe at the time, from the con artists, thieves, robbers, prostitutes, the civil unrest, and of course, then came the murders. There was quite a few more than what was accounted for, and it was unfortunate that so many met their fate at his hands. Whether they were good people or not, they surely didn't deserve to die in that manner. Everyone thought they knew who he was. The sad fact of the matter, if they did, they couldn't prove it. Whitechapel was never the same again. And all we had was a name. A name he gave himself. Jack. Jack the Ripper. Hello, love. Fancy a slice? Necropolis Studios Productions presents Call Me Jack. Find us on the web at www.necropolisstudiosprod.com. www.goodmorningsurvivors.com